What does it mean to have an abundant, flourishing life? What does it look like to be overwhelmed with joy and with peace, with contentment, without fear, without anxiety, without stress, just at rest? What does it mean to have an abundant life like that? There are countless numbers of books that have been written about this subject, trying to get you to the place where you have abundant life. And all of these books are saying very different things. It is very clear if we just look upon bookshelves to know that we are not satisfied. And we chase trying to find the satisfaction for it to never really come. And that's why these books continue to be written. And the question is, why do we know things are not the way they should be? Why do you know that you aren't satisfied? What makes you think that your life should be better than it is? Today, I want to show you why. Today, I want to show you that there is a longing that has been put there in your soul, and that longing is trying to get you back to a place, and trying to get you back to this place where you have abundant life, the way it's meant to be, with joy and peace and contentment. So here's how it happened. Who you were has been lost. So God created you at... You are, you are the masterpiece of the master creator. You are the great song that he has written. And you are the crown of his creation. And you are what God poured his love, his life, his joy, and his goodness into. You are his greatest prize. And he built a home for you and he called it Eden. And it was a good home. And it was a place of overwhelming joy and peace and life. And when God created you and created this place called Eden, and when he finished everything, he said, this is very good. Now, the word good in Hebrew means is tov. And for something to be tov, it means it has abundant life in it. So Eden was not created perfect. It was created good. Good, perfect implies that it has reached its end, its goal, its telos. The mission has been completed. But for something to be good or tov, it has to be with, it's about the beginning, the creation of something. And there, in the Garden of Eden, in this place that is tov, life was so abundant that it had all of the things necessary, all the potential necessary to reach perfection. And so God said to humanity, you are my greatest work. Now take the tove that is in Eden. Take Eden and build it into a city. And then take it as the city and make it cover all the earth. That's the goal. That's, the, that's what we're after. But just as humanity started, something unfortunate happened. The masterpiece of humanity rejected the artist. The song rejected its creator. And when you reject he who is life, you cut yourself off from he who is abundant life. And that meant Tov was lost. The abundant life of Eden was lost. And now you 
are left stripped from the clothes of life, now wearing the clothing of death. So, what does it mean to be human now? What does it mean to have life now? Well, it means you are now a lost, wandering pilgrim. Looking at your past with shame. With a cracked heart, a lost identity, not even knowing who you are. And with this cracked heart, having left Eden, there's stuff outside of Eden that begins creeping its way into your heart. And it's nasty stuff. It's not good stuff. And as it creeps its way in, it starts corrupting you and wrecking you. We're in our series called The Gospel, which means good news. Now, everything I just said was not good news. So there must be something else to come. Now, the word gospel is not about advice. It's about news of something that God has done. And he's fixed something. Our four big problems that I just said are we have a shattered identity. We have a shameful record. We have a cracked heart. And we have a lost world. And he's coming to get it back for us. So let me read to you our verses. Romans 1, 16 and 17, and then 2 Corinthians 1, 20. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and then also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him we utter our amen to the glory of God. Now, these verses in Romans are saying that the power, the very power of God is in the gospel and it's working about a salvation, but there's something that is revealed about our God in the gospel. What is it that's revealed? His righteousness. Now, anytime you see the Bible talking about his righteousness, it has to do with his faithfulness. His determination to keep the promises that he has made to you. He will be faithful in keeping those promises and he's going to fight for those promises to happen. It says in our verses that all, every single promise that God has made to us, the yes to those promises comes in Jesus Christ. And that is why when you say in Jesus' name, amen, what you're saying is, God, all the promises that you have given me, no matter what I've just prayed, I know they're coming true in Christ. Whether you give me what I pray for or not, I know that those promises will come true in Him. Now, there's tons of promises that He's given you. And what we've been saying in the series is that the gospel is more than just a diamond. We tend to think of it like a diamond, like one thing, but actually the diamond, it, it, the gospel is a whole diamond mine. And what we're going to do today is we're going to bring all of this, the diamonds together and we're going to form them up into four clusters of diamonds. And these clusters are about these promises of God. And I'm going to tell you right now, one of these clusters will make you worship God. And it's not that one cluster is better than another cluster. It's that you have wounds in your life. You have wreckage in your life. And there are promises that will bring healing. So I want to tell you a story when this became crystal clear to me. 
I was in seminary, and I'm sitting in my class, and our professor is taking us through all of these gospel promises. And he asked a question, which one of these gospel promises is the best one? And the guy sitting right next to me said, adoption, meaning we were orphans and God has adopted us as his children. And the professor said, really? He said, do you think it's better than glorification, meaning that one day we will be walking on the shores of paradise with God and everything will be this eternal bliss? you think it's better than that? And the guy stood his ground and he said, yes, adoption is better. And then the professor asked him, can I ask you a personal question? He said, yeah. The professor said, were you adopted? And the guy said, yeah, I was. To this day, when I tell this story, I still get the chills, and I still have to fight back tears, and I'm going to tell you why, because this is showing us how God gets into you. He gets in through the cracks. He gets in through the wounds. And so the way, the, the cluster of diamonds that you need to hear are the ones that speak right into your wounds. So I'm going to talk through four of them today, and I want you to listen very closely, because in one of them, the wounds that you have, that's the way God's getting in. He's fighting through the scabs. He's fighting through all of it to get into you. So here's our first promise. This is our first point, your new record. I want to deal with the shame that you have, and I want to deal with your guilt. So Adam and Eve, the story goes like this. They do what ought not to be done, and then they go hiding. And God comes looking for them, and, they, and God says, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? And they say, because we are naked. In other words, we did what we know we shouldn't have done, and I can't bear to stand before you, God, knowing that I have done what I have done here, naked and completely exposed. This is to say, like, you have to imagine it this way. Imagine you are standing up upon a stage completely naked in front of people, and upon the screen, there's a screen above you, a movie screen, and it's playing all the things that you have done in the dark all the things that you're ashamed of, all the things that you are embarrassed of, and it's playing on that movie screen, and you feel exposed. That's what it feels like. That's what Adam and Eve felt before they went before God. And that's what you feel like. And that's why you hide from God a lot. That's why you're not praying when you know you ought to be praying, because you can't bear coming before God exposed and naked because you don't feel covered. But look at what God does for Adam and Eve. He clothes them with animal skins. Now, here's the significance of this. Up until this point, death had not yet entered into the garden. It was life, and if it, was, it was abundant life. And then, all of a sudden, to cover up shame, something dies. And the skin of that animal is then used to cover up the shame of God's people. Fast forward to Jesus Christ, the innocent Lamb of God who was slain to cover up the sins of the world. So screaming at you how your shame is going to be dealt with, and here's how God accomplished it. 
So here comes this promise. This is the one that moves a lot of people. The king of Tov, the king of Eden, has come. And he comes into the world and he lives a perfect life. And then he's thrown up upon the cross naked and exposed. The king of all of the earth, there hung naked and exposed. And then he takes all of the sins of all the world and he puts them upon himself. And then the wrath that the Father has for all of your sins are thrown upon him like a storm. The physical suffering that he endures is nothing compared to the spiritual weight of suffering he endures on that cross. It pained him to death. And if that is true, and if you will, if you will bear the uncomfortableness of looking at that reality... On the other side of it, what you find is that all the things that you have in your life to feel guilt and shame about are completely dealt with and gone. You're free from it. And not only that, but he takes everything good that he has done, his perfection, his tov, and he places it upon you. So now not only are you stripped of all of your sin, but now you are clothed with all of his goodness, his righteousness. And so when the Father now looks down and sees you, it's as if He's looking at His one and only perfect Son. And that means for you, when you approach God in prayer, don't you dare bring all the good things that you have done and say, God, hear my prayers because of how good I am. And when you approach God at the end of your life, I'm kind of speaking in human terms right now, but when you approach God at the end of your life, your temptation is going to be, God, accept me because of all these good things that I've done. And if you do that, you are going to forfeit the record of Christ and you're going to be holding up your shattered and tainted record saying, God, love me, please love me. And all he sees is a heart that's rejected him. But if you'll hold up the record of Christ, he sees a heart that's for him always and after him always. At the end of your life, when God says, well done, you good and faithful servant, the reason he's saying it primarily is not because you held up your record, but because you held up the record of his son. And now, as you appear then before the Father that way, He then gives you a new identity. He gives you a new name. A true name. This is our second point, your new identity. Your identity was as one who has rejected God and cut yourself off from God. Therefore, you have no idea who you are and you are left wandering the wilderness without a name, searching for, some, for a name. And life without God is like an orphan who feels abandoned, who is searching for some parents to love him or her, but continuing to feel rejected, unwanted. And so you're left there living on the streets, begging for food, for clothing, for someone to care for you, for someone to love you, but all you get are scraps all you get are breadcrumbs. All you get is what was not wanted. There's a story in the Bible that tells what it feels like for an orphan to come home to God as their father. The G Jesus tells a story about a father and two sons. 
And the youngest son approaches the father and does the unthinkable. He says, Dad, can I just have my inheritance now? Now, that doesn't sound such like such a big deal to us, but back then, that's essentially saying, I care nothing for you. All I want is what's coming to me, so I wish you would just go ahead and die already. And the father hears that, but he does the unthinkable and gives him the inheritance because the father knows that his son is already lost to him anyways. And because he's lost, he has to let him go. He has to let him go and know that he's lost. Know that this is not about what you can grasp here on this earth, but this is an inheritance that's about a love that comes from the Father in heaven. And so he lets him go. And he leaves the son. And as he's going out, there's a thing that a commu- the community around him would have known this is happening. And so they would have gone and followed the son out to the gates of the city. And they would have taken glass and they would have broken it as he left. And they would have said the word sustanza, which means you're banished. You're exiled. You are not welcomed here. This is not your home. And so he goes off homeless. And he goes off and... He loses all of his money that he had, loses all of his inheritance, and now he really has no home, and he's begging for food, and it gets so bad that he goes and sneaks into these farms and starts eating food with pigs. And at some point, there next to the pigs, he says, what am I doing? My father's servants live better than this. So he makes a plan. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to work my way into a good standing with my father. And so as he's approaching, remember, he's been banished from this community. His father sees him. And his father knows that he will not get in without him. And so his father takes off running. And his father then embraces him, gives him a cloak and a ring, which is to say, my son is home and he has been restored. He's back. Here, this is where you go from being a rejected orphan to a chosen son or daughter of God. See, the Father says to you now, I knew you'd make your way back to me. And I knew it because I left you breadcrumbs to get back home. Every difficulty Every challenge, every longing were the breadcrumbs that brought you home to your father. Every bit of you that feels alone and abandoned and lost, searching for your name, all breadcrumbs. And for many of you right now, life is not going well. I know your stories. Some of you are struggling, some of you are in pain. Some of you are suffering. Some of you have a broken heart. Some of you are at a loss. Some of you are hopeless. It could very well be that all of those things are God's way of leaving breadcrumbs for you to get back to Him. So how does He accomplish this to make sure you get back in? Well, He sends His Son, your great older brother, And he comes and on the cross, he is abandoned as an orphan, hungry, lost, crying out to his father, why have you forsaken me? Hearing nothing in return, completely abandoned, so that you might be embraced as the now 
son or daughter of God. You've been found. Your new identity is a son or daughter of God. He also calls you the king or the queen of the king. Christ. You are his queen. You are his treasured possession. You are the one that at night he sings over as you sleep. So you have been found. And then there being found, he starts to work on your heart. This is our third point. Now remember, your hearts are cracked. And the goodness of Tov, the goodness of Eden is leaking out. And pain and suffering and loss is leaking in. And when those things get into your heart, it starts making your heart wrecked, tainted, and vile. And then as you live, you can't help but have things come out of your heart that you know should not be coming out of it. And the problem is that the Bible way that describes your heart is a dead heart. You have a heart of stone. But Jesus has come, and as he's done all this, and as you become adopted, it takes your heart of stone, and then you're given a heart of flesh that's softened by his touch. And then he breathes life in you again. Because here's the problem. A dead heart can't come alive. A dead heart is dead. A dead heart needs someone to resuscitate them. Those are the cries right there. And so, he makes you alive. And then, there alive, he leads you where you need to go. Come back, come back to me, look. A dead heart can't wake itself up. In the same way, the Spirit of God, you know in the creation story, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep, which hovering over the waters, and the Spirit of God is like creating this energy so that when God the Father speaks, it sparks life into existence. The same way right now, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters of your soul, bringing about a new creation. And not only that, so not only are you made alive now, but you were imprisoned to sin. And there's sin in your life that you couldn't stop doing. And when Jesus goes to the cross, he becomes imprisoned by the sin. And there, imprisoned, he breaks out of the prison so that he might carry you out into freedom. And as he goes out into freedom, bringing you with him in the resurrection, he's then teaching you how you ought to live. So, if you feel bored with God, you feel bored with life, if you feel distracted from His Word, if you are gathering as God's people, and your eyes right now are not fixed upon Him, what you need is to go to Him. So He might make you alive. So He might capture your attention. So you might know that he's the one that you've been looking for. And if you have specific sins in your life that you keep returning to over and over and over again and you can't stop, you're imprisoned by sin. But he on the cross was imprisoned to set you free. And so when you go to him, he gives you the strength to stop doing the things that you know you ought not to be doing. And you know you want to stop doing those things because they're driving you crazy. You hate that you do them, but you keep doing them. You need him. And if you've gone to him and you're still sinning, what God is showing you is that you need him more than you think you do. 
You're still holding back a piece of yourself. So go all in with him even more. And if you still continue to sin, well, it could simply be that God is humbling, to your co- humbling you to your core because your pride is just too much. And if you're depressed and anxious, imprisoned by fear, he's broken you out of that prison. So go to him. Stop ignoring him. Stop trying to get out of this prison of fear by yourself and this anxiety and this depression by yourself. You will not get out. Think about being lost out in the wilderness with a cracked heart, a shame-filled record, and no place to call home, and you think you're going to get back on your own. You need a rescuer. So go to him. And when life is beating you up, and I know it is or it will, he's promised that he's with you through it. Every trial, every temptation, every test, every struggle, he's with you. And there's something that happens. When he is yours and you are his, the world has no hold on you anymore. And so when the world does its worst to you, he brings out the best in you and through you. And along with all that, he gives you a new home. Everything was lost when we lost Eden. Tov was lost. Abundant life was lost. Joy, peace was all lost. The cry of Christianity is take back your homeland. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. In other words, turn back to the king. He's here and he's come. And he's facing off every reason that you are not at your homeland. And he says, follow me. We're taking it back. And that means every single thing you do right now in this life can be filled with purpose and meaning. It means as you seek to bring his kingdom, you can have purpose and meaning flood into your life. Every brick that you lay, every brick of love and mercy and justice and forgiveness, it will echo on into eternity forever because you are building a kingdom that is everlasting. Build his kingdom. And it will last. It will feel so meaningful. How does God make all of this possible? Well, in Hebrews we are told that God himself in Jesus has come into the world. And then he is crucified outside the city gates. And there, as he's crucified outside the city gates, every debt that is required to open up the gates of paradise is paid. And when he breathes his last and says, it is finished, the gates swing open, and all that is of Eden come flooding into our earth, and come flooding into your heart. And then as those things of Eden come into your heart, you look out into the world and you say, I'm going to take back my homeland, I'm building up God's kingdom now, and you continue to fight for it until... He returns, and we sail upon the shores of paradise where we experience an ecstasy of joy and peace and love. It's a never-ending high that always seems to be getting better and better forever because you are with 
the God that you have lost in the home that you have longed to be in. Now, how are you going to respond to that? In Colossians, it says, set your mind on the things above. Meaning all these promises. Grip them with the arms of your heart and don't let them go. And if you do, you go from removing the clothing of death, which is your sin, and you become clothed with the life of Christ. And now you finally have abundant life. No book can give you that. This is God himself come for you. So go to him. Let's pray. Father, give us more of you. Show us your grace. Show us what you were willing to endure to get us. And help us understand that we are your children that you are singing over now in this moment, delighting in. Because we've returned to you. God, thank you for seeking us. Thank you for chasing us. Thank you for loving us enough to endure the unthinkable of the cross. Thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.